Hello, and welcome to another episode of Constructing Success, which is a sales and lifestyle podcast with a focus on business and performance. Today, I have my first sales guru to talk with. It's Ken Lundin. He's the president of RevHeat, and he is launching a new book, which we will go into full detail of, but I couldn't be more excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me. How's it going? Fantastic, Derek. This will be a blast. I've, uh, you, know, you, and I, you and I have hit it off and known each other for a minute, so I'm glad you had me, and I can't wait to kind of jump into this thing and get rocking. Well, thank you again for being here and to, <clears throat> to set the stage, I guess, if you will, we met for the first time was just outside of Boston and we were at a conference for selling. And I remember this is the first time you're going to hear this story from me, but, (laughs) but I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm taking it all in trying to absorb as much as possible. And something that I do is if I'm not a hundred percent positive about a topic or if I'm not not feeling overly confident or new into an arena. I'll stay a little bit quiet. And I just noticed this guy is just pumping the room with information. And it's kind of like, this isn't necessarily the best example, but when, (laughs) when you look at, it could be any sport, but a really, really good pitcher in baseball, when you show up and you see his demeanor on the mound, if he, if his team were up by 15 runs or down by 15 runs, if he looks the same, that is a mentally strong and solid pitcher. So when you came in, I didn't know if you were sitting in and one of the leaders that was running it and just talking from your seat, but it felt like every time a new question would come up, and, and, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, I learned a ton from you, but we had a topic list that was listed out for the weekend, or excuse me, for the, uh, I think it was two or three days that we were there. And every topic, it was either you had an amazing question or you had an amazing experience that detailed out how that can unfold in a real world application. And so that, that was my first exposure to you. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And then we have, since then, we've met at a separate conference that was actually in Boston proper. So it's always good to see you. Honored to, to have you on my show. And um, my show, that sounds so funny. That sounds ridiculous <laughs> to have you on my show. But the part of the reason that, and, and I'm excited for all of my guests because they all offer different things. It's okay. You can be more excited no. for me. I say I don't, I say I have no favorites when it comes to my kids. <laughs> it really depends on what day of the week it, it is. It really depends on the day of the week. Um, but I'm excited because we're going to be able to riff on topics that we're both in the trenches in every single day and with certain guests i can i can ask questions like how do you overcome adversity or what do you do on a bad day being that we both are attacking the the same prey on a daily basis i'm going to be able to peel back the onion and and i'm going to ask questions just just to give you a heads up i'm going to ask questions in a way that will help educate the 20 year old can 
that's out there sure. that's listening to this that um, maybe you and I will know the terminology on or maybe you and I will know what to do next on but I want that exposure to come to um, the kid or the young BDR or the new sales manager or the new account manager that's saying what the hell do I do I'm not sure where to go next but I need to act confident so that no one else knows that I'm uncertain so um, if that's okay with you I'd, I'd like to dive in a little bit <laughs> let's rock you know me I'm an open book all right, so how did you get involved in sales? What was what was the first sales job that you ever had? Yeah, the first sales job was I was a stockbroker, and nobody thinks that's a sales job, but that was, you know, put your feet up on a desk, put the phone in your put the phone in your lap, have a you know an address book that had all the um, a phone book that had all everything done by the street. So like you'd pick this street with rich people. And then you would cold call it and you would just, you like literally, you know, John, his neighbor, their, his neighbor, his neighbor would all get the same phone call from you over the course of time. So that's how it started. And then since then, it's just been a mutt throughout uh, so many different industries that I think it's actually served to help. You know, these days, everybody's looking for industry specialization and um, there's certainly some reasons that works. Uh, but I can tell you that I've had some success going everywhere from that to manufacturing, to distribution, to technology, because I was exposed to some other things. So on that topic, uh, you just, and here we go, like we're, yeah. we're going to get stuck right here now. So in industry specialization, what are your thoughts on that for sales? For sales? I, mean, I think in general, it's a limiting factor by hiring managers and companies because it feels safe. It feels safe to say, well, I hired, you know, I hired Ann and she came from the industry. So, man, I can't believe she wasn't successful. You know, think about it. Like, really, what is, what is hiring salespeople about? And you and I know a lot about hiring salespeople. But what is it about when you're talking about kind of the un semi uninformed? So I'm not going to say not knowledgeable, but uninformed of the ways you can do this to really understand who you're hiring. And um, for the most time managers, HR people, they're just trying to figure out what's the smallest risk profile of failure. And so they do that by saying, I, what are the, what, I'll ask you, what are the top, say, three things that a manager says, I'm looking for this in a specific candidate? What do you think those might be? Well, so to take a quick step back, because yeah. you hit the nail on the head, yeah. they're looking for the lowest risk factor yeah. and they're focusing on the, mon on the wrong metric. They are so focused on not shaking the boat up or having to spend a little bit of time educating someone on the technical properties of a product that they shy away from star talent. And mm -hmm. I see this every day. Well, no. I don't know if we can teach him that. Uh, you know, we need someone that, with at least 10 years of experience. You need someone with at least 10 years of experience to ask, to pick up the phone, to make a phone call. And knowing what your product does and who it serves to ask them if they experience anything like this. And if so, does it make sense to set a follow up conversation? That is what you need industry specialization for bullshit. No way. No. Not a chance. Um, and I cut you off there, but, but no. I, that, that topic for me, this, 
to use a family guy term that really grinds my gears because yeah. they they are hyper focused on the wrong thing and then they wait a long time and when i'm saying they companies wait a long time and when i'm saying yep. a long time they get impatient so then they just go away from your recommendation make a hire for the safe bet the guy that's bounced around from a few companies within the industry why was he bouncing around so much you know, like yeah. we're looking over these red flags. Then they come in 90 days in, they say, Joe's not working. We're not really sure what to do. You sit there, you're kind of like, why? Well, I don't yeah, know. The truth is, do. it's not even 90 days though, Derek. You and I know that. The, the real challenge with this, they go with the lowest risk profile that they think. So, first of all, it's a completely subjective idea, right? Completely. The lowest risk profile subjectively. Oh, then by the way, you know, the old cliche is, you know, hire fast, fire slow, which we know is the absolute way to do it. Cause I've never met a single manager in my life who said, man, I wish I would have held on to Johnny longer before I fired him. Right. Right. But they do, but they, do. And they hang on to him for, you know, they hang on to him for 12 to 18 months, they fire yeah. him. And then they wonder why, you know, think about this. Let's talk about a correlation. The average sales manager or sales leadership is in their role for 18 months or less. The average salesperson is in their role for 17 months or less. So, I mean, tell me, like, we, I call the VP of sales or the CRO role in a company. It's the ejector seat for the C-level. I mean, because you're just, you, that's what it is. And so I find it fascinating. You know, you allow sales managers, people, they allow you, they go, okay, what are the, th I'd asked you and I'll say it now. What, yeah. what are the three top things you're looking for when you're hiring? And here are the three things that, everybody on this thing will have thought or they've heard somebody say industry specialization. That's one second thing that they're looking for. They want somebody who's entrepreneurial. And the third thing they're looking for is, a, uh, is potentially an, an ex athlete. That's the, that's the lowest risk profile that 80% of sales managers try to hire. Yeah. Well, when in, so not to put you on the spot, yeah. what, what goes, what goes hand in hand with ex athlete? So we get, there's two things that usually come off of this. It's ex-athlete or, um, I don't know. Military. Oh yeah, military. sure. That makes military. sense. Yeah, sure. Military. And this, this isn't to, this is my experience. This isn't, yeah. that doesn't mean that it's a hundred percent, um, going to be this way. But when you take an ex-athlete and the better that they were, let's say they were a scholar, they started a D1, a, a D1 Pac-12 school, some, someone right. with attention. Well, the Pac-12 doesn't have any real good D1 schools anymore, and I know because I went to Arizona. So we should, we're going to talk sports. Let's pick another, <laughs> we'll, pick another we'll conference. Go, we'll, go, we'll go anywhere else. But some, <laughs> some, someone that was a star. And they say, well, they were a star. You know, they, they've been in the limelight. They'll be able to get this done. That ex-athlete has always had people approaching them. They go to the party, someone comes up and talks to them. They're in an interview, people are asking them questions. When you take the majority of the ex-athletes and you put them into a selling role, they don't really know how to handle rejection. Yeah. They've worked hard in one way, but now they're getting hung up on the phone. They have to do the outreach and they are no longer ABC athlete. They're just yeah. a BDR on the phone where someone's like, dude, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. And they don't know how to handle themselves. So, so there's the three things. And, and that is true. And, and I would say shy away from, from an ex-athlete unless they, unless you run them through a stringent interview yeah. and where you can really get them to, um, 
but you can put some difficulty in their way and see how they operate when the wheels are starting to get a little bit loose. Because if, if you can get them to fall apart in an interview, you just saved yourself. I was saying 90 days before of pay because 90 days is usually where they realize the salesperson isn't going to work out. Then fast forward 12 months and there's always an yeah. excuse of, well, it's our busy season. We just need someone in there. Yeah. You need someone yeah. in there that's killing deals. Is that what you're telling me? You need yeah, someone so in there that's killing opportunities. So we might as well just, let's just kill the other thing. Let's just completely blow people's minds. Because entrepreneurial is crap. Crap. So it, it just, and not all the time, but like the difference, what I think companies and leadership doesn't understand is you require a different type of person at different stages of your company, its development and its sales infrastructure. So as an example, so we have a client who's going through a series B right now, it's cool technology. It's drone detection. Like it's wow. leading edge stuff. But we're helping them build sales process, continuity, all this other stuff. But they don't have it yet. So in a smaller company, you, you want somebody who can be entrepreneurial. Because you need somebody who can figure stuff out without you. Who's not afraid to break things and try and is going to move forward. The challenge becomes when I get to where I have those systems and processes established that support a high-performing sales org. You keep getting entrepreneurial people and you keep wondering why there's so much conflict and friction within your organization on the sales side. The reason is you hired entrepreneurial people and they like to break shit. They For don't sure. want to follow your sales process. They don't want to put your stuff in the CRM. They want to find that you've got four core offerings. Well, they want to make it 12. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just a little rant on the entrepreneurial component because it's so overlooked and so misused. No, and, and I appreciate that because I, I, I just learned something. So I, I didn't think about it that way. And that is true. An entrepreneurial person or with that mindset is going to constantly be trying to fix or make things better. Um, the reason that I had shied away from it in the past, and it can be a factor that's important, but when you do hire someone with that mindset, depending on the size of your company, depending on what you have in place, that also could be your next competitor. Because they're sure. learning everything from you and they say, well, I really don't need this anymore and I think I could do it better anyway. And now you just added someone to compete with. And depending on how good they were, they just took your clients with them, depending on the situation. I can see it. I think that's, I, I see Derek, I see, I'll give you a hard time. I think it's, no, playing, a little, I, I think it's playing a little afraid. This is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because they're still a W-2 employee for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, but I can certainly understand why that would be something, particularly if you're... Here's why I say that's 100% accurate. Wow. And I don't do absolutes because I had a client <laughs> teach me not to. Because um, they were pissed whenever I did something that something was an absolute. Yeah. But here's why I'll say that's, that's applicable. If you are a small company, you're a startup, VC funded, that kind of thing, getting into a Series A, and that salesperson or leader that you're bringing into the organization is taking a founding role or an equity stake. That's when what you're saying is 100% true unless you have some, you know, some ironclad documentation. But because then it can happen because early on you haven't even formed. They're seeing how to like they're seeing where to get the materials for the sausage, let alone make the sausage at that point. Right. Right. So I, so I would say it's there. I think, you know, bigger than that, though, I just, I, you know, I'm like if you want to grow and we're all about scalability, you know, so. I just don't need somebody who's constantly creating friction in my organization, basically no matter how good they are. For sure. And yeah. the, better, the better they are, the more yeah. friction it's going to cause because you'll get that riff 
Uh, yeah. Why wouldn't we listen to Ken? He's leading the sales team. His ideas are good. I'm going to go yeah. that way. And then you've got a little mutiny on your hands. So, um, so very valid points. And I just learned something with the uh, entrepreneurial side of hiring. Um, but if I can ask and, and skip over anything that's not important. So you're working with the stock market. What's the timeline or what's the trajectory to leading to you being the president of RevHeat? What, what were the, the milestones along the way that helped you elevate your game, if you will? Yeah, so I went from there to being the national sales manager for a company that made concrete coatings. Have you ever seen like epoxy for the, you know, they use it everywhere, but garage floors, this kind of stuff, pool decks, whatever. But national sales manager just meant that I was the guy who could sell nationally. So just like today, that was 20 some years ago, people give you titles in lieu of compensation. So just for sure. yeah. <laughs> keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was, that was interesting. And then in that, I actually bought my first business. So that was... Um, or no, actually, wait, wait, I went to the concrete coatings. Oh, and then one of my customers hired me. And so the customer hired me and they were in the process of franchising um, the garage remodeling companies. And so I was part of that you know, management team. We were Inc. 500 for four years in a row. So I was an Inc. 500 manage, management team. And then I bought the Atlanta location from them and moved from Arizona to Atlanta. Um, ran that for six years. The beginning, it was great. You know, tripled sales in the first 18 months. However... 2008, 2009 hit, um, those famous years, those famous yeah. years. We always talk yeah, about the those milestones are, uh, yeah, filed bankruptcy in 2011 and had to start over. Like it wasn't just starting over. It was starting over like with everything I was as a human, um, you know, they say, you know, people might think that the event of a bankruptcy is the f- bottom of the trowel, right? It's the bottom of the Valley and the bottom of the Valley lasted for two and a half years. So it's, you know, the coming out of and getting it. And so what was interesting from that is I had been running, uh, I'd been running a national sales organization that was doing $80 million, bought my business, filed bankruptcy. And then do you know that if you don't have a great exit from a business that they basically treat that time in your business, like you weren't working. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. I I could not know that. Nobody wanted to talk to you about management, about anything else. I was running an $80 million business, had my own business. And because I didn't get it, like, it was crazy. So I went back to, uh, so I ended up going back to work for this fantastic company in Sperity. Um, I always say that in Sperity, um, had this knack for finding broken high potential souls. Um, and so I made a lot of, you know, friends and was there for three years. And then it was VP of sales for a technology company. And then it was senior VP of sales for a FinTech company doubled the fintech company in under 18 months. Um, and truthfully, COI, COO and I didn't see eye to eye. Um, we had some, <laughs> we had some differences. So from there I left and, you know, I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? And so for about a week, I toured the country going and talking to private equity. It was in Dallas and Chicago and California. And then I realized, you know what? I, I think I'd really love to be able to serve more than one company. I think I'd really love to be able to spread out what that is. And so that's when we found it originally, it was Ken Lundy and associates rev heat is what we've rebranded it to. And, um, you know, now rev has been rocking and rolling for about seven years. Very nice. And, and I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a pin in where we're at on the timeline for getting to rev heat. Um, I, I want to talk about, if you're okay with this, I want to talk about mm-hmm. the bankruptcy a little bit. Sure. And we don't, we don't need to go into the details of that. You know, how we can talk about whatever down. you want, man. I'm uh, this is, <laughs> this won't be the first time I've, you know, been in, been in front of thousands talking about it. So it's okay. 
So how did you walk me through the steps of how you mentally process that and how you got out of that valley and to give a little bit more context into what I would be feeling or, or maybe how it would uh, hit me would, would I would, I would be, it would be an identity crisis for me. Mm-hmm. It would be a public public admittance of failure failure or, yeah. or admission of failure where there's no running from it the doors are closed and i would and, it, and i know this isn't how it should be and shit like this happens and big companies go through this and rebuild but it, it would be a pride thing for me i believe like a, almost sure. embarrassing and i don't want to tell my family i don't want to tell my no. friends because in this world we live in this my least favorite question is how's work or what do you do? You know, yeah. and you're like, fuck, I don't want to be at the, the family Christmas dinner when someone's asked me about that. So, um, that was a bit long winded, but what were the steps that you took to get out of that hole to, you know, get your, get your mentality from, if this affected you from a defeat back into, I'm going to get back on top as soon as possible. Yeah. I don't think I ever got all the way to as soon as possible, but there's a few inflection points that I can talk to. So, um, It probably is relevant to tell you, um, let me start the story with how the family and I found out. Okay. So, you know, in 2008, 2009, right, the world was going crazy and they were offering these things where you could refinance your mortgage at some substantially discounted rate in order to help cash flow. Well, that program had this awesome little caveat. And that awesome caveat was that you couldn't actually apply for it unless you were 90 days late. On your mortgage, right? So unless your credit had got in and 90 days late on your mortgage is a, that's when things start getting real at the company that you're financed through. Right? So we go, okay, so we're going to take the shot because we, you know, we're kind of going towards this thing. So it, that comes in, that, that comes into play. We're starting to go through this program. So it's December, I think it's December 4th. Um, two, yeah, it's December 4th. Yeah. 2011. And what happens was this. So, you know, we're getting ready for Christmas. We've got the tree up and we've got the blow up things in the front yard. And there's a knock on the door. And so this knock comes in and, and I go to answer the door and there's this guy standing in front of me. And then there's another guy at the top of the driveway and they look incredibly confused. They look very, very confused. And then my oldest daughter walks up and wraps her arms around my leg. And the guy looks at me and says, um, do you live here? I said, yeah. What can I do to help you? He says, well, we just bought your house at an auction. Oh shit. Yeah. That's how we found out that things were really going to accelerate because the bank, let's just say the, the, the communication from the banks to the consumers, or at least in my case, wasn't fantastic. So while you're going through that refinance process, that happened. So I lost my house Wow. and my family found out about it because it happened before Christmas and we had to move by New Year's. So that's, wow. so if you want to talk about a pride component, right? It's, yes. you know, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big kick in the teeth. So we go, you know, then we go through the process and I'm very, very fortunate that, you know, Insperity decided to pick up a guy like me and put me into a regular kind of sales role. You know, they were looking for people who could speak the business world and said, okay. Um, but I'll tell you that for the next two for the next two years, I hadn't fully still processed it. 
I was, you know, and you can, for those of us who can, those of you who will be able to see this on video or, you know, see, see any of my stuff on LinkedIn, I'm a pretty healthy guy. Uh, and back then, you know, my marriage was falling apart too, clearly. And so back then I was also in a place where I'd come home, have a six pack of tall boys and a, you know, half gallon of ice cream. I can't just, imagine that. That was just, it was, and that's, and that's kind of what happened. So I went through this thing and it was this real, you know, poor me thing that, um, yeah, I basically tried to hide from everybody, but you find out later that most of the people around you, you didn't actually hide anything, you know, <laughs> they're pretty receptive. Yeah. So fast forward. And the moment that I figured out I could fix it was this, I decided that I was going to leave in Sparity. And so I started taking interviews and I was taking phone calls and not to be arrogant, but I'm going to be like, when I get Please. a first phone, when I get a first phone call, an interview or something, I almost, I always, 99% of the time, get the second one. Like, I don't miss. Right. And so I'm going, I'm starting to do this process with them, and I go through five different, like, first interviews. Didn't get a single secondary call. I'm like, the hell is going on? So I had just started going back to my gym at that time, too. I was going to a Gold's gym here in Georgia. And I'm standing outside and I'm having this kind of informal conversation with a recruiter and I'm standing up, I'm near my space. I've started to try to get my physical life back in control. And all of a sudden I'm projecting my voice and all of a sudden I have confidence and I hung up the phone and there was that exact moment that I went, holy crap. I had no idea how much I had been beaten down because it had affected me to my core. And so it took a random conversation. I can't even tell you who the recruiter was or what the company was, but I can tell you that that was the moment the light switch flipped. And I said, I'm going to take control of my, take control of my life within 30 days, went from being a sales guy to a VP of a technology company. 15 months later, I was the senior VP of a FinTech company and I tripled my income in 15 months. Wow. Okay. So, so that's a tremendous change of events. Um, yeah. what, what was it, what, what was the moment that I mean, you heard your voice projecting and that, yeah. that showed you where you were off of who you naturally are, where, where you had fallen to, what, what do you think it was that allowed you to project or allowed you to straighten up and get your confidence back in that moment? So most of the time I'm super intentional about this. Like I tell people when we train them and coach them, I'm like, look, if you're in a bad mood, you, you, you're bringing that into whatever meeting you have and you really can't hide that from people. Right. You know, you know that in sales too, right? The, yeah. the old thing when you used to do a lot of like selling in person, remember those old days, Yeah. you know, you could turn <laughs> your radio on with your favorite song in your car and just like yeah. get, get your mental, get your mental thing ready. And so I'll tell you what's interesting about that is in spite of all my intentionality, I feel like there's only exactly only one reason that it happened and it had nothing to do with me being intentional. And that's because I was in the place that I'd always taken the discipline to take care of because I was standing five feet from the entrance to my gym. And that, cause that was the one thing that I could, it was probably at that point, the only thing in my life that I was confident in. And, and you, so in, when you're saying that was, that's your space, you, you're a, 
you are or were, I guess, are uh, a strength and conditioning coach as well, or strength? Yeah, yes and no. I've got a certification through the um, United States um, Amateur Weightlifting, so USAW, and I did that for a couple reasons. A, people are always asking me to help, and B, um, that's how into things I am for myself. Like I just want to learn. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons we did it, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been fantastic for just the discipline and the techniques that are associated with being successful. Absolutely. I do similar things. If I, um, I would never say it's a waste of money or time, but if there is something that captures my interest, I'll try to get certified in it or learn enough. I feel like if I am going to be good at something, I need to be able to teach it. And if I can teach it, then I'm damn good. But that's that's typically the approach I'll take. Like, oh, that looks hard. Let me figure it out. Let me go to a class. Let me get the technique right so I can teach yeah. it to a class or know it backwards and front. And then that's when my performance will um, accelerate as well. So, so you're well, wait, wait, real quick on that. Oh, let's, not, let's not let's not go past that because here's what's awesome about that. Yeah. Um, I just had this conversation. I have a guy who's running our outbound sales motions for us. And we're going to record some stuff he's going to do for our clients. And I had said the exact conversation with him. I said, you know, the one thing that teaching does, it lets you crystallize and framework, put things in a framework and a format, and you understand it more clearly. The only reason I wanted to stop you there, and it's your show, but I stopped you anyway, is because... It's our show today. It's our show today. I stopped you because of this. That particular idea of learning something well enough to be able to teach it is so missed by people in sales and other professions. Yes. Don't just do something because you know it. Like I can tell you when I used to run sales teams, I could go in and figure it out, but I could have never told somebody else how to do it. For Now sure. I can tell somebody else how to do it exactly step by step. And so I think it's such a critical point for anyone who listens to this understand is don't just be okay with that. Intuitively you do the right thing. Learn it well enough that if somebody asks you how you can do it, that you can get in the top three steps that you're going to do. Yeah. So that you just keyed in on a very important word that I was going to use and that's, that's how. So an example of why versus how is I can tell you why there's music playing out of a Bluetooth speaker or or excuse me. I can tell you why. I don't know if I said how or why I can tell you why it's because the signal is coming off of my phone and it's going to the Bluetooth speaker. Right. Now ask me how that works. I don't have a fucking clue. Yeah. I have no idea no. how this is actually coming together. And when you use the why versus how in a selling scenario, and, and I'm guilty of this. I've been in this. Before I was on before I was on the consulting and instructing side of the fence, I was a player and I had success. I had a lot of success and I use this when I'm teaching as well. You could go out and have the best sales call and follow the process perfectly and not get a deal. Mm-hmm. You could go out and trip over yourself and screw things up and close the deal. So you, you can't get too tied up in, in what happened because some things are out of your control. But looking back, some of the deals that I closed, I don't even know why they closed. It was just right place, right time. Yeah. But I'm walking around like my shit doesn't stink yeah. and I'm killing it and this and that. When really, I was just, and this this is a very important part, but I just was relentless and kept showing up. That, that was a big part of it, but I didn't really know how I was getting it done. So now going to the instructing side and thinking back on deals, I'm like, 
wow, that deal came together because of this. And I didn't realize that I put it in this place of the process, but it worked at that time. But I wasn't replicating it. I was more like throwing out mixed cards. Like I was like a blackjack dealer, yeah. like whatever came next where now there's a formula. And now yeah. the formula is going to lead me from A to Z or from one to 10. Uh, so a sidetrack on, on what you're saying about no, why do the work, how, but do the work sure. and do the work, do the work. Like that's do the work, right? Yeah. So if you're a rep, do the work. If you're mm-hmm. a sales leader, um, I'll expand here. And I'm sure you, like I totally sidetracked you and I apologize, but like there's no, no, this, no, no, no. the oldest sales, the oldest training methods in the world come back to doing some teaching in this order. And that's, you tell them why you tell them what it is. You tell them how to do it and you tell them what to do now. And here's what happens with most, most sales managers. And here's why you're, uh, here's why they're, you're upset with your teams, not doing the things that you think you've made crystal clear. Cause you tell them why they need to do it. You tell them what it is, but you don't tell them how to do it. And you don't tell them what to do first for sure. You, you and that understanding of how to communicate in that manner changes you as a leader. And it allows you to hold people accountable for things that they understand what the actual totality of the assignment is. Mm-hmm. And being a sales leader going into this, and I don't know what you see out there. Um, when I'm reflecting back on, on coming up in the sales world, I didn't, I don't think I ever had maybe once and I'm going to say maybe just cause I don't fully remember, but I, I don't think I ever had a sales manager role play with me and the importance, no. it sounds stupid to everybody else, but the importance of putting your rep in a real world scenario and you showing them whether you're on the prospect side or the selling side, what objections they can prepare for. And when you flip the role and you put on the objections or you use the objections you've heard, maybe it's a recent deal that didn't go well, maybe it's you got hung up on. And now the sales leader or sales manager who has the answer from their experience teaches you how it should work, what it should sound like. That's the biggest game changer. And it is rare, rare for a sales manager to do it. And that's all that's necessary to take your team from being okay to being stellar. And that can pick up very quickly. If you put in those, put in the reps, call it reps. You go to the gym and you work out your role play muscles. And when you work out those role play muscles, you are desensitized to any objection that could come up. You are desensitized to anything that could happen because you've been there before and you won't be shocked by it when it occurs. So I'm, I'm always mind blown by that. The, 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 I don't really know what most sales managers do. They're cops that are enforcing, I would just say enforcing KPIs. That's what the majority is doing. And I, and I mean, I can't, we can't the change the world stack, overnight, but yeah, the sales tech stack was supposed to free people up and all it did is it made people, you know, keyboard warriors, right? They think because, you know, some leadership entities asking for reporting, you know, they're providing sales numbers, they're showing pipeline, which by the way, you know, I'd guess 70% of all pipelines are completely bloated and that you should probably clean that cream, clean that crap out. Um, but now you're doing, more. Rep- yeah, you're just reporting I, I on numbers. Yeah, it's, I do. I, I look at them. I think it's way more than seventy percent. I was trying to be nice to your audience. They, so no, but I, but it's you're behind the desk, mm-hmm. and the truth is, none of your people are getting the proper coaching. And here's the thing, even let's back up. 
it's not even that they're not getting the proper coaching. The real struggle is this, is that sales management and leadership assume that because they hired somebody, it was the right hire with the right skill set, and therefore they don't need management. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. I'll tell you, I can tell you exactly, I can tell you, here's a question to ask. If you say, if I say to you, what's your management style? And you said to me, um, I'm not a micromanager and I look for entrepreneurial people. What I'm going to tell you is you don't understand the difference between micromanagement and management, holding people accountable and driving results versus receiving results. So it's just, you know, just get out from behind the keyboard. And I know now with distributed workforces and who knows how fast they're going to come back, you still have to do it. And your team, and, I, and here's, the, here's the struggle. I don't blame you, this is the sales manager. Only 13% of sales managers actually get training on how to be a sales manager. Yeah, and, and I, I trust your numbers on this. That might even be high. Yeah, yeah. That might even be high. It's yeah, well, nowadays awesome. I'm sure it is. That was a CSO number from probably two years, two, three years ago, but I'm sure it's gone down. Yeah, and, and I could be wrong, but it just, it, <clears throat> it seems as though the sales profession is one of the lowest, uh, this, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but one of the lowest professions to reinvest in your team. Like you've, the investment would be, oh, we got this good manager or the investment would be, we had a killer, we had a killer sales guy on the floor. He blew our numbers away every year, so he's going to make a great manager. This guy is the worst manager, doesn't get along with people, was a, a maverick or an alpha that just did really well on the phones, and you should have just left them on the phones, and you tried to scale this person by putting them out there, and you may kill your team when you get this ace out there that's just saying, well, I don't know what you're doing wrong. Just call more. Make more calls. I, and I love those people who are self-connected. So I've got, we've got a rep for one of our companies who will probably earn 750, 800,000 this year. And man, they've been tapping him on the shoulder. Hey, do you want to do some management? And he's like, no, no, no. Yeah. And he's just, yeah. and he's, you know, he's 40 mm -hmm. and he's like, no, you know, cause somehow the other thing, so sales, I guess we're raging on the industry a little bit, even though it's the industry I love. <laughs> Um, yeah. I was going to say you know, the same the, thing. It's, it's interesting because somehow in sales, we don't think that you need to do the reps over and over again. And what I mean by that is like, if you're, if you, if you're a, an accountant, if you're a CFO, if you're most professions have continuing education, right? And some, many professions have it as a requirement. And there's this just massive misunderstanding that say you're either good at sales or you're not, you're born that way or you're not. And I think, um, I've really noticed lately after working with companies from, you know, heavily funded you know, VC and PEs all the way up to companies like Samsung, I've just noticed that in all of them, the one biggest distraction that happens is there's a disconnect between what it takes to be successful and scalable, predictable growth between everyone outside of the sales side of the suite and the CRO or the CSO or the VP of sales. And then add to that the complexity because they don't understand it. If the head of sales says, I need help, the head of sales is worried about what's the perception gonna be of me if I say I'm weak or I'm not the right hire. Totally. And then you, now you got the ego in the way of the sales team. Totally, so I've been in that position in, I think it was, uh, let's say 2018. 
I, I was looking at bringing in training for sales reps that I had on my team. And I thought it was a great idea. I remember when I went through the training, it changed my life, not even professionally, personally as well, mm-hmm. because life is selling. Life is communicating. So mm-hmm. understanding what needs to go into the sales process and understanding the methodology and understanding posturing, and we're not going to do anything yeah. here unless we know what the next steps are. So that, that was really helpful for me. And when I got ready, this is a real story, when I got ready to make the introduction for sales training, I had that same thought. They're paying me X amount of dollars. What are they going to say if I can't do this job? It's not that I, it's not that I couldn't do the job, but I wasn't, I was in more of a leadership role and I was overseeing so many things that I didn't have the time to give the team the proper sales training that they needed. And I had that gut check of like, I'm not going to say anything because it's going to lower my stock in the owner's eyes. So it is, it's a, it's a, it can be a lonely world and it can be a difficult world because in this salespeople, I want to say, excuse me, I want to say they're confident, but a lot of times they're arrogant as well. Me included. I've been that way And, and, and ashamed to ask for help. And the help is that is that olive branch. That is the connection that takes you from being mediocre to stellar. And it's just even having a, a written, structured, milestone-centric sales process. Most companies don't have a good sales process. Right. That, I mean, fix that and things will change. And it's always mind-blowing. Even, And I'm sure you see this in your experience. But you can create a sales process for a company and you can train them on it. And we can go around and around and do role plays about it. Uh, but I just I just did this the other day and I did a, a pop quiz. I, did, I just said, okay, no one's in trouble at all. And we practice all the time. We practice just drills. Today we're yeah. going to scrimmage. And we're going to go around like around the world or around Robin. Where are we? And I was surprised at how little they were able to connect for where they were in the process. And the reason for that is once I exit that session, they just go back to selling, which is their job, but they're not spending the time on the reps in those areas. And there's so much to take in and it takes so much time and effort and beating a dead horse until it sticks. And some people take longer than others. Um, But I I was baffled by the limited retention that was happening because they've got their own lives, their own goals, their own things. And sales isn't always the focus. So, um, well, particularly if it's not focused on by leadership, right? Or if it's not, if you're sales, the biggest litmus test and the, I'll tell you right now, the number one, the, the number one ROI drain for sales training, there's two of them, um, actually. One is the sales management, because sales management has to adopt it, and sales management has to inspect it, and sales management has to show it's important. So that's the first. The second is actually the way we deliver it. Like, I can tell you, like, you know, being in this industry and I used to deliver this way too, but you know, the Effingham forgetting curve says that they're going to forget 77% of what you taught them in six days. So if we're delivering stuff and not resetting their learnings with micro, like bringing it back to the top and the forefront, you have zero hope. Those two things together are why your, why sales training doesn't stick. But they want, you know, it's once again, even when companies bring us in a lot of times, they're like, well, well, we brought so-and-so in and that didn't work. Well, cause then they get to say they, you know, they deferred it. <laughs> so I, you know, I think for sure that yeah. it's a, it's the perfect excuse. Yeah. It's the perfect, you can buy a little extra time. 
oh, well, yeah. we did that way. It didn't work. Now we're set backwards. Forecast is going to be off because of that. And yeah, the laundry list grows. Yeah, I just feel like I think like to go... We, <laughs> we've been riffing and I feel like all I've done is like call, call shit out. So the, the, um, I will say, I mean, but like, so on a positive note, like what do you do different if you're looking for that kind of stuff? Well, you look for something that has, um, more frequent, more frequent asynchronous learning backed up with group coaching, backed up with a system that empowers the sales managers and requires the sales managers to participate and facilitate. Yeah. Right. You yes. know, one of the things we've done is just to get, I'm trying to get rev heat as far to the background as possible right now. I'm putting all the tools and all the equipment in our tech stack that say, look, we're going to show you how to become a world-class sales organization and you get to keep all the credit because we're just going to be in the background telling you how to actually get this thing done. So, um, yeah, I, th I think just they don't retain it. And once again, you got to come back and do something about that because good selling is good selling, man. It's for sure. What was one in one thing you mentioned a very important piece to instilling training and that is you have to get buy-in from management. They have to own what you're doing. So when you yeah. go to the managers first and you're working through a new sales process, they have to take ownership for it. We might make a few tweaks, but it's their idea. Yeah. Then when we start introducing the methodology, the managers have to be comfortable with it before you can introduce the sales team. That's the only way that it works because if they're not following up and drilling and if they're not holding people accountable to what's being taught, it's just in one ear and out the other. Yep. And you will get a, you will get conflict from management because as I'm saying, confidence, arrogance, however you want to look at it. I remember the first sales consultant that that was brought into a company I was working at. And it, I say his name all the time. It was Dennis Connolly. And when Dennis oh. came in, the first thing I thought is, who the fuck is this guy? And what does he know about what I'm selling? Yeah. And he blew my mind so quickly that I was bought in. But there were sales managers within the organization that just didn't buy in. And when they didn't buy in, you could see the performance by region, whether the manager was, was pushing the methodology, whether the manager was instilling the coaching and tactics and role plays. And the ones that were like, you had to show up for the meeting, you don't have to do the homework, you don't have to do anything. Those territories fell. And it was, it was, a, it was such a contrast between buying yeah. in and not, but it does, yeah, it, it takes the manager. If you don't have the manager bought in, you can get a few of the salespeople, but it's, like you said, give it seven days and they're six days, seven days, they're going to lose 77% of the memory. If, um, if no one is there to hold them accountable. Um, so, so going from you were at the FinTech company and you were able to triple your income and on the topic of sales training, what was the catalyst for rev heat? I know you mentioned that you wanted to spread yourself out or be able to deliver for multiple companies, but how, how did that come about? Yeah, I think um, there were a couple things. Once, when I made that those, the trip around the country, um, you know, talking to various companies and other things, you know, my bailiwick at the time had been I was pretty good with companies leading sales forces for companies under say two hundred fifty million. And so I went around the country, and I probably talked to ten or twelve, whether it's PEVC or directly to companies, and I kept finding one problem. And the biggest problem I kept finding was that the CEO or the founder or the owner of these companies didn't actually like their customers. 
you know, it was like, it was like an epidemic. It was just, and, and being in a situation where I'd been in two previous companies that were like that, which by the way, I don't get paid for this, but man, if Glassdoor says a company's shit, you better really think about whether or not you want to join them. Cause I've ignored it twice and both times I got burned. So just <laughs> maybe you can get Glassdoor to sponsor it now that I said that. Yeah, um, I'm going to try. <laughs> so, but anyway, so we went through that. And so I'm like, man, you know, what I want to do is be in a situation and work with companies who actually love their customers and want to do this companies who feel a need to, to turn things around. And, um, so probably two things probably got me to go do that. One was an, an over arrogance of thinking that I knew exactly how to teach people what I knew how to do. <laughs> so they, they had a, you learned that in consulting. You're like, why is this taking so long? Well, it's because yeah, you're not communicating clearly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that was first is there was, a, you know, there was enough arrogance and security to do that. Um, you know, I made 30,000 bucks in my first nine months as a consultant, you know, coming off of a, BPS sales comp plan. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's these details that <clears throat> it's these details it, and I'm cutting you off, but it's these details that are so important to me because online in the world, yeah. whatever your peers, ex colleagues, LinkedIn, it is so easy. Just the social media, when you want to say Instagram, Facebook, it's so easy to give off this, the optics that you're killing it. You know, you hear this all the time. Oh, Ken, man, so you so you started Rev Heat. Looks like you're killing it, and and I'm and you sharing that. So you, you went from making good money yeah. to like I believe in myself, but what the fuck is going on? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So, you know, and I think that's the entrepreneur's journey that a lot of people don't talk about. I mean, we take. There's a reason, you know, we get paid last and, and, you know, we get to manage it. So yeah, it didn't make a, t it didn't make a ton, but did, I had joined, got my first client back then, which was big nerd ranch. He was a client all the way through to today. So nice. we've done some, yeah, we've done some pretty cool, pretty cool stuff, but yeah, it was, it was really just that idea of helping people who wanted to be helped. And it's an oversimplification for sure. Um, because I'm, even seven years in, we still find that some of the things we've already talked about, the human nature, the egos, the perceptions, the not knowing what it look, what great looks like. Cause there's so few, you know, I worked with a company that was like a, a number 100 on the fortune 500 list, give or take. So I don't give the company away <laughs> that a B2B sales force of hundreds of people. And when I asked their VP of sales, what their sales process was, for that particular segment, he said, what do you mean sales process? Isn't that funny? Yeah. So I like, you know, whether it's that or it's smaller companies, like this is a, this is a thing. And it's just, you know, how do you go out there and make it? Cause I think, you know, right now, the way I look at it is, you know, I've, I learned this from a guy that I, I worked with when I originally got into consulting. And that was, I don't, it's okay. If products fail, it's not okay. If products fail, great products fail because people don't know about it. And so that's the sales and marketing motions. And so, you know, those are the types of things that we really wanted to help. So, you know, I digress, but yeah, it was, it's, it's been about trying to see how we can multiply our impact. Well, so and you said it's an oversimplification and maybe it's because my brain is always spinning the, the wheels of sales, yeah. but it's not an oversimplification because when you're going to companies that want to be helped, 
your experience is going to be better because they are receiving you. And when we go to sales, you could be the best. uh, What's I don't, I'm not going to say that he was the best, but you could be Zig Ziglar. You could be Dave Curlin. You could be whoever's out there. And if you were to go try to sell a steak to a vegan restaurant, it doesn't matter how good you are. They don't want your, they don't want your offering, your product, your help, whatever. So it's not an oversimplification because life is just a lot easier when you go to people that want to receive you, whether you're selling, whether you're dating, whatever it is, it shouldn't, we shouldn't be forcing these things. They yeah, should naturally that. come together. I heard this great one just at a little side note. So let's say it's you and I, there's two hot dog stands. You own a hot dog stand and the guy next to you owns a hot dog stand. Yeah. What's the number one, you can do anything you want with it, put it anywhere you want, any of that kind of stuff. What's the mm-hmm. number one competitive advantage that you would want? So I don't know if this falls into uh, the, the correct answers, but I would, can it, it would be products. It would be the toppings that I use. That would be my competitive advantage. Okay. How, here's my competitive advantage, mm-hmm. a starving crowd. That is <laughs> the best. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. I was going to go, I was going with cream cheese cause that's, that's what we do out here with, with, with Seattle dogs. That would make me maybe more interesting to yours, but yeah, a starving, yeah, a starving crowd. Yeah. I mean, they don't sell it. They don't sell a ton of hot dogs at a ball game because they're good. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's, so it's, it's funny you say that. I was, I was thinking about this recently, um, in, in college I did in, um, in outdoor education class, like a, being an out, outdoor guide. And I remember eating the shittiest mac and cheese with like pre-cooked thinly sliced bacon after burning something like 6,000 calories hiking through the snow. Yeah. It was dog shit, but that's one of the best meals I can ever, ever remember. <laughs> it was nothing special. I was just starving. So yeah, you're, that, that is the, the best uh, competitive advantage. And, and so when you, when you go to, where do I want to take this? Okay, so you've got RevHeat. And yep. for the first nine months, it wasn't the income that, I don't know if it was what you expected, but I'm sure it's not what you were looking forward yeah. to. None of the above. What, at, at the nine month mark, what do you do? What's your internal dialogue? Do you create a different business plan? Do you hunker down? Like what, what is your steps there of this isn't working as well as I thought I need to make a change? Well, part of the reason I made that is because we, uh, that very first deal I did, we did a, um, it was money plus commission and the commission mm-hmm. was to be paid out at the end of the contract term. Okay. And there you so, go. you know, the good news was there was a hundred thousand dollar hit, right. You know, at 12 months. So that was good. Cause we were successful, but, um, so I knew that was coming and then it was just continuing to do some of the basics that we tell our clients to do. You just got to get in front of people, you know, got to have some conversations, talk to them about the sales training. I think one of the challenges that this industry has is it's very, um, we don't sell products per se. Cause we're like, somebody says, I need sales training. And we go, okay, what do you need? And they're like, well, I don't know, negotiation, driving sales, consultative. And we go, cool, I can do that. And it's just so fuzzy. And I didn't realize that back then, but now you're like, we're very, very clean on, on, you know, this is exactly what you need. This is exactly how you do it. But right. yeah, the mindset was, okay, this is, it looks like it could work. Still wasn't totally committed because that, that, 
so in that 18 month tranche, which takes me probably into the end of the second calendar year, um, I came up with something called the B2B sales summit. And I interviewed 40 of the top sales consultants. We charged for access and this kind of stuff. I made a whole $10,000 in revenue from that, that, that fiasco and probably spent 20. So it was my okay. first online dollars that I, first online dollars that I'd ever earned, but also mm-hmm. given away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just cause the idea was, I just, I've always, I didn't really, it didn't really codify itself for me until we started to um, redefine like our ideal client profile, not too, uh, a couple years ago. But I asked myself one question, and this was the question that was always burning when I was doing that other stuff that I didn't know was the question I couldn't answer. And so the question that I think, the number one question I think that any business can answer, damn, another absolute. The number one question I think any (laughs) business can answer is this, who can I serve best and most effectively? Who can I serve? And then, you know, we want to be a hungry crowd, but it's like, who can I serve? How, who do I make the most impact for, right? Who can I make the most impact for about the things they care about? And so we, you know, that's one of the things that's kind of led to our transitions over the last couple of years and how we deliver. But, um, I think that's the big question you got to ask in business. And it took me (laughs) like usual, right? You don't know the question you're supposed to ask until you actually ask it. So, right. Right. And you don't, so you don't have to share this as far as verticals or different businesses, but have you keyed in on a target market now that you can serve better than anyone else or that needs you more than anyone else? Yeah, we do a ton of work in IT consulting and professional services. If you've got, um, cause our method, probably the easiest way to say our methodology works best for the one in the one that's in our, in the book I'm finishing is we serve companies. If you've got an entry level product or product, that's at least $25,000 that's being sold to a medium or large size company, our methodology works for you because we talked about this earlier, but we never kind of squared it up. Everybody thinks their freaking sales process is different or this shit works different oh here. This works God. different here. And the reason is right. Take this one. This one you'll use again. I know you will. It's because they don't understand that it isn't about them. It's about the buying cycle. It's about how does my sales process align to the people that I'm trying to sell to? You know, if you're, you talk to all these people, like I bet you the average new logo close rate is like 8%. At least we've seen that in our companies and because our stuff triples and quadruples that number. And so, um, yeah, so that's it. We've worked across a slew of industries. But I'd say for the most part, like we're not great if you're selling to subcontractors. We're not we're not doing any B2C. But you know, if you're selling something that goes in through a complex buying process, which I would say is, you know, probably any company over 250 million, that's who we're narrowed in. So so I mean maybe, maybe, maybe. So I'm learning a lot on this call, but maybe I can maybe you might learn a little bit because I heard oh, this I've from someone that that uh that this blew my mind because we hear this all the time our sales process is different our company is different or whatever is different and when i first watched this go through and, and this is this is the power of role play i was stunned by this and i went to a mentor and he said, okay, so walk me through it. So we're, we'll be talking about whatever product or service that you would be selling. We, let's say you were in real estate. It doesn't matter. But if you ask them and you say, okay, so do you sell a product or do you sell a service? Uh, we sell a service. Okay. 
do you sell to individuals or do you sell to other businesses? We sell to other businesses. Okay. Do you sell on a commission basis? Is it a flat rate? How does that work? We sell on a commission basis. And who's your target audience? Like certain size company. Oh, we don't talk to anyone under 200 million. Okay. So if I'm getting this straight, you sell a service B2B to companies that are over 200 million on a commission basis. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, so what's so different about your what's so different yeah. about what you're selling than everything else? When we That's break a great it down way to walk through it. Yeah. To the brass tacks. Like everyone's selling something, product or service. Who's your target? Like it's all the same. I know there's semantics to it, but it's no, it's not different. And I think I feel comfortable maybe I haven't heard it once. I'm gonna err on the side of caution. 99% of the times that I'm talking to a company, that's the response I get. Well, we're, we're different. Here's why. I'm like, here yeah. we go again. Yeah. And let me tell you about how many times I've heard we're, we're different and how, yeah. I mean, then I'm going to compare you to all of them and show you how you're pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, if you're, you're, it's, you know, B to G, B to C, B to B and yeah. that's it folks. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, don't want to spoil the ending, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, there, there should be no surprises there. Um, and, and I'm glad this, this is segueing perfectly because you mentioned um, your book. And that's what I was going to ask about next. So yeah. you are coming out with a new book. It's Strategic Selling Unleashed, a roadmap to winning more clients through consultative sales and driving urgency. Um, when does it come out? What was the idea behind this? When did you have this little thing come to your head and say, okay, this is what I need to do? I appreciate you bringing it up. So we've been using a process. We have an internal methodology that we use that I've alluded to in helping companies improve their you know, closing rates and that type of stuff. And it's been really, really successful over the years. And one of the things I wanted to do is I've talked about, we've changed the way we're delivering services and other things is I needed to do a better job of, I guess I'll say it one more. I hate, I've never used the word codify, but now I'll use it twice in the same same 10 minutes. It's a new word. But I wanted to codify, it's probably because I tossed to, talked to Justin Michael yesterday and, and he's all uses those technical terms. But we wanted to take that and distill that into something that founders, sales leaders, sellers could actually use and make it, it's a practical and tactical guide. Like it literally is steps to do things. And so I wanted to be able to have that as the backbone of the training that we're delivering and other things. And I just see such a massive need. And most of the books out there, I would say, most of the things I've read anyway, um, aren't really written from a practitioner's perspective. And at Revy, that's all we do. Like if it can't get into the seller's hands and if we can't get management to adopt it, then it's not worth it. And we know, you know, you and I both partner with a, a great a great company called Objective Management Group, and we know how poor most sellers are at consultative sales, and we know how poor they are at getting over the nice to haves versus must haves, and we know how poor they are at driving urgency. And when you take those things in, the book just absolutely allows somebody to sit down. It's I don't know seventy five or eighty pages of just stuff that read one chapter, go apply it today. Read one chapter, go. it's just written from a perspective of, I want Derek to read it and to be like, holy shit, I can improve a deal today by price, by quality, by something. Um, and I even set up an email so that I can get your response to it when it happens. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
That's awesome. Does it, uh, does it read almost like what I'm envisioning? Does it read almost like a playbook? Yeah, to some extent, because what it's based on. So the opportunity to close roadmap is, um, essentially six components uh, that we need to manage within a complex sale. So you'll see versions of, and I, I'm not, look, Zig Ziglar, everything that needed to be said about sales was probably said by Zig 40 years ago. But the truth is, I was talking to another person that we know, Rocky Legron, and he's like, no, yeah. it's probably in the King James version of the Bible, right? So sales has been around <laughs> for a long time, yeah. right? So, yeah. so I've picked up a lot, That's whether, good. It, whether it be Medic or Spin or Challenger or whatever, right? And I yeah. give homage to all those people but our six components are like business needs and motivation the ambassador the decision makers the the competitive differentiation and what we do is each chapter is well how do i improve the business needs and motivation score because it's a scoring system and in our scoring system the higher the score the higher the probability to close and so yeah it reads like uh, hey i got to do a better job of managing the relationship with my ambassador so we call him an ambassador instead of a champion as an example, because champions overused and most people that just means primary point of contact. I say ambassador because I want, I want people to understand they should be an ambassador of the truest state is advocating for you. They're wearing your shirt and your colors inside their organization. Um, and so if you want to improve your relationship with the ambassador, it's a chapter on how do I do that? If you want to improve your ability to position the solution instead of as a tactical no need, but a strategic need, how do you do that? If I want to improve my competitive differentiation, how do I do that? And then each one of those components, you get to score. And so if you're like a two on a score, they're all zero to three. If you're a two, three is your next step. So it also becomes prescriptive. Like it's, you can tell, I, like I, I'm jazzed by it because just a week ago, I had, a guy, I had one of our leaders come from one of the divisions that we talked to, and he's like, we improved my closing rate in the last nine months by 400%. My strategic accounts are up 22% on the renewals. And just in that one division, that represented about $50 million. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, the book, so the book's working. Yeah. The proof yeah, is the, in the pudding. Profit's working. We'll see, if the we'll see how people like the book. So what would, in, in I don't know... I've never launched a book, so I don't know how much you can talk about without giving away the secret sauce, but are you able to give an overview of either the methodology or an mm -hmm. overview, like with light touches on the process that you have in place? Sure, sure. Yeah, I can totally. And, you know, for me, I, I believe that old Gary V thing, which is just give, give, give. You know, people yeah. are, the truth is, if anyone's listening to this and they want to talk to us about how to do it, they'll, they'll call us. Other than that, you know, the job <laughs> is sure. just to give this stuff out and try to play it. So for sure. Yeah. So the, so the, um, the original, the concepts for this come from what we want to do is try to structure and it's based on the buying cycle of medium and large size companies. We want to be able to put you in a situation where you can structure a deal. So the quality of the opportunity is continually improving. You've heard that they say, you know, everyone says discovery is iterative, it's ongoing, but, but who really does, right? You know, and to give you like an example of how that works, each one of those six components goes zero to three, zero is no information. But like with the business needs and motivation category, right? A one is you've discovered a known need, could be small and tactical, which is where everybody in sales stops. <laughs> like, right? And then, so that's, that's a one. So you go, okay, Ken, well, how do, I, how do I get any better than that? Well, here's how you get better than that. Your ambassador can match 
how you're going to help them solve that known need to a 12-month priority. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a second. That improves the quality of the deal, right? Yes. But what's a three? A three is you've confirmed with the decision-making unit that it's a priority and you have a compelling event. And so that just gives you an idea. That's just one component of what we're trying to score because we don't want to forget that we also have relationships in it. We even have stuff on the paper process in it because we want to manage to close on time. So we didn't ignore that. So the methodology is really built around how do you take a complex deal, whether it's consulting services, a product, it doesn't matter, and keep yourself in front of the buyers while developing the quality of the deal and turning people into your ambassadors internally within it. So yeah, we've got a whole um, masterclass and all of our training is actually built around that as well. So you know, when you get into our training system, into our learning management system, we expand on that and we go through all the other stuff that you would need to know, questions and listening and those types of things. Mm-hmm. So for, <clears throat> for the listeners, that are going to go out and buy this book. My recommendation without reading it is so first off, Ken didn't fuck around when writing it. Like he's not putting things in there to waste time. So if there's a scorecard in there or if there's a rating from zero to three, you need to honestly look at yourself, grade yourself harder than you need to. Because if you, oh man, I don't know. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a two, could be a three. You're a two and maybe yeah. a one and a half. Let's, let's always strive to be better. If I need to do 10 reps to win every day, I'm going to practice at 20 reps so that when I show up, I show up correctly. Yeah. So if you do review this, do the work to improve yourself, do the work to get yourself to a three, but it doesn't just stop there. Yeah. When you do get yourself to a three in, and once again, I haven't seen the book, but I am familiar with, I'm able to visualize what, what Ken is putting into these words. When you get all of these stages to a three or all of these ratings or scores to a three, it's a scorecard for a reason. And scorecards are pretty damn predictable. If we're, we're looking yeah. at basketball, football, baseball, if you're in the eighth inning and you're up 8-0, you're probably going to win. Could you lose? Sure. But the odds are in your favor at that stage. Yeah. Use this scorecard. Don't bullshit yourself. Don't bullshit your company by fluffing things. This is where yeah. the 70% pipeline of, oh, they're going to close. I just haven't... <laughs> I just haven't been able to get them on the phone for 16 months, but it's going to close <laughs> like, like that type of stuff. Use the scorecard and use this to elevate your game. And if something is off, put in the work to improve it, to get it to a three. And this little tip that I'm talking about, I'm just talking about rocket science here. Yeah. This will take you to the next level. And for someone that I would consider myself a student of the game, I was a student of the game when I played baseball and I'm a student of the game with sales. When I was, let's say, 23 to 28, I was, this is a weird word to use, but I was yearning for something like this. I wish, and and shame on me for not digging deeper and seeing what else was out there, but I didn't know that there was other things out there. And had I had something like this, I would have accelerated pedal to the metal redlining. 
because this will set you on the path for success. So that's my shameless plug. You're paying me via Venmo or is it PayPal? Yeah, How are you gonna, I, yeah I, tried, I tried your Venmo while you were talking. I have, I have the wrong email address. It's in the mail. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. But but no, that that's awesome. And it's, it's amazing for everybody. So if you're the... I don't want to get myself caught up in some ageism type, you know, issue here. But if you're the regardless of, I will tell you this. I'll, I'll, I'll do this so you don't. Have you'll to do, do it for that. me. Thank okay. you. I can tell you this: we have had sellers who have been 20 years in selling, and we've had sellers who have been 18 months in selling. And in every single case that they've talked me out, right? So it's not once again yeah. another. I don't know where these absolutes come from. In yeah. every case I'm aware of, they've all been like, "Holy cow." I learned something that's unbelievable. And I think the, the other thing that happens with it too is it's also what's awesome is when you take a seller and you couple that with a sales management. Now, all of a sudden, when you're talking about the pipeline, you're talking about where you are and where you can go. You get, you can get aligned because one of the probably biggest things and we haven't talked about it, but probably one of the biggest challenges between management and sellers is, um, we use a lot of buzzwords and assume that everybody around us is interpreting that buzzword to mean the exact same thing. That's so if point. you can normalize language on how you discuss the pipeline, how you discuss the quality of opportunities, like you get to a 15 hour scoring system, those deals close at 70%. I have the data, like it's not <laughs> bullshit. It's we have the data, yeah. right? So. You know, if you can normalize those types of conversations, especially in today's environment and in, in an economically uncertain time when you can no longer go to the line manager who's got budget and you need to go get somebody to make an investment, get better at your craft or somebody else will. Without a doubt. Yeah. Adapt or die. There's, there's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the oldest profession being selling and it really isn't that different. We're just no. making little changes to it. No. And the, the adaptation is more so just adapting to the terminology or the market or the phrases that are used, but you have to have some sort of compelling reason. You have to have some sort of urgency. You have to qualify. Like none of these things are changing anytime soon. And I, I feel comfortable. I'm just going to throw it out the way we have been for this episode. I'm absolutely positive nothing is going to change drastically. <laughs> and I think we'll call this episode, this could be the episode, the episode of absolutes. Uh, because it seems, <laughs> it seems like we've, we've used that a lot. Um, so when, when does the book come out? How can we get it? Uh, that's great. It'll be available on Amazon. Um, it'll be available for paperback as well as Kindle. And my guy is in the final formatting stages. So if today was July 27th, um, it should be out by September 1st. Awesome. Well, congratulations on putting that together. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, I will be purchasing a paperback copy that I, I'm going to need you to autograph. The I next will time. absolutely autograph. And the next I, time I see you. I will, I will tell anybody, if you purchase it and we're at an event... I will yeah. absolutely 100% sign it. And and there's, you know, the other thing I don't want to miss in this, there's also in the book, there will be a link to a web page. And in that web page, you'll get like all of our implementation frameworks and resources. And so when I talk about like the practitioner part of this, this was written so that sales teams could put it into effect, not so that sales teams would hire me. Perfect. Now, trust me, I want y'all to hire us. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not why it was written, right? Yeah. It was, it was, 
you know, I want the emails and I want the stuff that just says, man, because of you, like, you know, Derek, you know, I don't know what your experience has been with this, but the reason I do what I do, which we haven't talked about, we like to make yeah. a nice living, right? Yeah. Yeah. The reason I do what I do is for stories like this one. And so there's a guy that I was coaching. Um, I got him when he was nine months in the business, he'd sold $0. Um, he was on a pit plan. So performance improvement for those who don't, that's not good. That's usually means you're on your way out. I have no idea what that means. Cause I just don't even know what that is. Yeah, cause you're, no, yeah, cause just you're, 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 you're stellar. <laughs> no, he's on a performance improvement plan. Um, he's on about a $65,000 salary, never made more than a hundred. We get him to end of that calendar year, which there were six months cause he was hired three months. And so we had six months in that calendar year left. Um, we get him to close, close a few deals, get him to come off of the pip. And then he makes, you know, like 110, the most money he'd ever made in his life. So we go, we continue to work. We do the thing the next year, he clears 300. Damn. He's like, okay. Last year he cleared 650,000. Now I will tell you this. What's cool about that isn't the money. Because what I can tell you what he did was this. Um, he moved his family into a school district that was better for his children. He was able to take his children. He's a big Disneyland guy. Took his children Me to too. Disney like 748 times. His, his wife and he were able to choose whether or not she wanted to work for somebody else or do her own thing. But it's, that's the reason I do what I do. That's the reason I wrote the book is because those stories of improving the quality of an individual's life. And we talk a lot about the company, but the stories of being able to improve an individual's life. Those are the things that get me up in the morning when I'm tired and I'm sick and I don't want to be doing my job because that's the people I want to help. And that's, that's a complete lifestyle change And that lifestyle change. What, we can take this as far as the butterfly effect will go, but you changed his life by what he was able to do for his family and by what he's able to do for his family, his kids will be able to do for their friends and then their family in the future. In the experience of having a dad that I'm not saying that I'm not saying that he was going to give up, but having someone that was struggling to now excelling and able to provide in a way that I'm going to assume, not absolutely, but I'm going to assume that his income changed his life in ways that he only imagined in his wildest dreams and maybe not even. And when he's able to, I'm going like really far down the rabbit hole, but when he's able to help his wife to make a decision of, does she want to pursue her passions or do what she wants versus working for someone else? That is, it's going to come full circle. That is leadership at its finest. And his children will see what a good solid leader is. And he is now the rock for that family. So that, I mean, yeah, it's amazing. The money is great, but the money led to things that he wouldn't have been able to do without you. So yeah, you, I'm assuming you keep in touch with this, with this individual. Yeah. He's, he was text, he's texting me while we were on this call. (laughs) Well, you, you've been looking at your phone the whole time. No, No. (laughs) just just kidding. I'm just kidding. It could have just Um, been an assumption. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
so what do you do? So we, we visited the book. Um, and what I'd like to ask you, and this could be kind of rapid fire, and all I'm going to contribute as well, but it, I, this is why I really, really wanted, in general, I really wanted you on the show. But yep. for the sales listeners, for the BDR out there that's trying to cut their teeth, trying to improve, what are what are two or three things that someone could implement now? And I know it takes practice, but what are two or three things that you see most people are doing wrong or are uneducated on that if they make this quick flip that can change their, let's just say, change their year? Yeah, understand that when motivation wanes, discipline triumphs and that you have to get up and do the work. There's... I often say to people, if you're doing, if you will do the blocking and tackling that's required on a daily basis, I can help you become a superstar, but you can't become a superstar without doing the blocking and tackling. So the first thing is, I think for the most part, and this is going to sound horrible. So anybody who's listening, who's offended by this, I'm sort of sorry, but at the same time, go look in the mirror and then see if you're being truthful with yourself. Um, I think the vast majority of sales reps who are responsible for outbound activities these days are relying on automated mechanisms, and I don't believe that they're actually doing the real work that's necessary to succeed in sales. And so I think you have to implement discipline. Uh, um, so yeah, we I, I had another, another one, but go ahead. No, 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 I'm going to let you go with the other one. Um, I just, I, you probably know a similar number, but I was talking with um, a director of a large company. Yeah. They're a billion-dollar organization. And we were talking about um, their new business development. And it's stagnant. And I said, well, how many reps do you have cold calling? I said, none. The CEO, the CEO doesn't want us cold calling. We're in SaaS. It just doesn't, just doesn't flow with us. And I said, well, I've, here, spoiler alert, CEO is the problem. So you have, you have no <laughs> real outreach. And he said, yep. yeah. We sent out 50,000 emails last year in sequences and these automated systems. Do you know how many were open percentage? Not responded to, right. op- opened less 18. than 1%. Oh my goodness. Less so they're actually 1% opened. So they're actually blacklisted then on many of the exchanges. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And because a lot of times when you do that, they don't do all that. Like we did do some of this stuff too. You don't do all the technical stuff behind the scenes to make sure that you won't get that you won't get blacklisted. And if you're sending that many, you're, you're hosed. But yeah, I can I can see that. I think the other thing too, when I talk about discipline is this, and this is where I get my, my I'd stat from besides the marketing automation. So about two years ago, they would say that the average rep spent about a third of their day actually doing selling activities. The data from I think last year from CSO Insights was it's 22%. So Tell me this, if you're a rep and you're trying to prioritize the ability to increase your income, what's the number one thing you can do? Flip your time control and do spend more time doing selling activities, right? And then to be more impactful on the motivational, your email um, comment makes a lot of sense because the other thing that we see, and you see this a lot too, because you look at people trying to do value elevator pitches and value pitches and the thing. They don't care that your software is rated whatever. What they care about is the problems they can solve. And so you must, as a rep, the second thing I would do, and if you need to use chat GPT, which we could do a whole show on because I use it all the time. Um, but if you want to accelerate your understanding of your client base, you need to figure out the problems they have 
because those are the things you need to be speaking to in your email, your phone, your LinkedIn outreach, because those are the things that will resonate with people because you have to get them to open their reticular activating system. And that without going into all the science of it, it says people respond to two things, a known need, a perceived need, or when you create a gap in their understanding. And that's the human brain. So if you can figure that out, that, that along with the discipline to do the amount of activity you need to do, those two things, those will change the rest, not only the rest of your year, but those will change your career. Can you give an example of creating a gap in understanding? Yeah, if you're creating a gap, it's, it's one of those questions where it's one of those things where the response to that would be somebody saying, well, how do you do that? So maybe it's a company as an example that says, um, and I'm making some of the fly. So it's, so Derek, uh, Derek, are you experiencing the highest level of connectivity that you need to with your customers? And first of all, they're gonna be like, what the hell is connectivity? Right? No. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then you say, and then you might say something to the effect of um, our ability to integrate first, first party and third party data into a live marketing campaign so that you can connect with your clients in real time when they want your services might be something that can help your ROI. Now that wasn't perfect. It was more of a pitch, but, but you can see like, well, how do you connect for, like, how do you connect first and third? I've never heard anyone doing that. You mean we can go real time? Do you mean real, real time? Or do you mean that shit real time that everybody else is selling me, you know? So that, yeah, the gap in the understanding, or I don't know if you've ever done this. I, my first understanding of this gap in the understanding was when I was doing research on bodybuilding and everyone was trying to lose weight. I had to lose 60 pounds like 10 years ago when I was coming off eating Damn. ice cream, drinking beer. Yeah. And, I, the, yeah. The, and what I found is, um, even when you do Google searches, you typically get your confirmation bias because the way you type it or the way that others type it gives the algorithm to who comes up. So if I wanted to ask questions, I'm gonna get the, oh, I've already known that, oh, I've already read that. But it's the second level of research that changes it. So as an example in bodybuilding, they might say that you need to eat a gram of protein per day, a gram of protein per um, pound of body weight in order to build muscle. Well, if you look at all the real metadata, like you go second level, cause that's all the, just kind of the hacks. Second level says, yeah, it's 0.7. true. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's 0.7 for, and that's for anti-aging, but even when you do 0.7 or less or, or 0.7 or more, it actually only increases your ability to have, but you have to build muscle by minuscule amounts, like under 5%. Oh, so while wow. still accurate, right? That's second level. I hope that didn't bore the hell out of everybody, but no, that's the idea of you came up and knew the number immediately. But look what I just did. I created a gap in your understanding because right. I've seen the other stuff. Right. Well, and there's more to it. And, and, and to, uh, to piggyback on what you're saying, yeah, when you get someone to say like, I don't know, or no, how would you do that? Or I have no idea yeah. what that even means. Curiosity kills the cat. And when you don't know something, you typically, if it's in a realm of something you've experienced some sort of difficulty with, yeah. you will want to learn a little more. Yeah, that's not... You're not closed. You're not sold. Yeah, if you're talking to like, ten more seconds. I'll tell you the phone call. Let's talk about that. You wanted you wanted tactical stuff. Here's the phone call. Here's the change in your phone calls that you can make today. So let's say that you're using a service like Zoom Info or something that's giving you you know intent data. The biggest mistake that I see reps make with intent data is they call up and they go, Hey Derek, um, you know this is this is Ken with RevHeat. Notice that you downloaded this brochure. Wanted to see if I could follow answer any questions. And Derek says, 
what brochure? Because that's yeah. not what intent is. You're not supposed to call out what they did. You're supposed to use that for information to frame the conversation. So, hey, Derek, Ken with Revy. You know, I've been talking to a lot of executives in your space, and they all seem to be concerned about this thing. What conversations are you having internally about that? That's perfect. That's perfect. Make that change in your phone calls. You'll make more money and set more appointments this month. For sure. And that's in, in to give a little bit of... Um, to give a little bit of detail or background that is getting away from the elevator pitch that's getting away from the ROI we've done this and we made so and so 150% but it's opening up a conversation that sounds more natural than an elevator pitch but it pokes at a problem or shines a light on a potential problem and if they are the right person to receive you and they are experiencing that problem they will continue the conversation now, if you call them and your information is way off or you yeah. call about oil changes, the guy's like, I don't even own a car. Yeah, you're screwed. So well, you, you don't even have to do the intent data too, right? If you just know the persona, like if you're really dialed in, so go to chat GBT, type in the prompt, um, type in a prompt similar to this that says, um, Tell me about the biggest challenges, challenges and problems that a CMO of this industry, of this size company face in regards to this. Provide me a list of 10, 10 challenges. That's, this is serious information. Yeah. All if, of you're, sudden, if you're listening, this is serious information. They make this it, is we may have really to cut and put this stuff in the front. But the, the <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, no, this is amazing. I don't do that. Yeah, I will start doing that. Oh, it's yeah. And just so that's think about how much that is. Like I save three to four hours a week in ideation using ChatGPT. I actually and nobody else will ever nobody else will hear this for a while. But um, I actually uploaded all of my methodology into ChatGPT to help it. So it would help me set the outline for my book. That's yeah, that's brilliant. So, That's but yeah, you got it. Those are the things like that we don't talk about enough. Like your value prop sucks. And if you're a sales manager, your team's value props are no good. And by the way, let's get them to having conversations. But the biggest, the biggest, biggest, biggest mistake, and it, ha- it hurts them all the way through the sales process is not understanding what the person you're selling to is facing. I was talking to a group of sales managers today who are going to be reporting to have a different org chart reporting. And I said, you have to treat those people like their prospects. You got to get to know what it is they want, what it is they feel so that then you can help them understand how you can collaborate and make it better. But I I think we underestimate in sales. So Derek, if you're in sales of software and you talk to 22 clients a month, you have an, a knowledge and you have a book of information in your head about the types of things they're talking about that each individual prospect doesn't. And if you're not trying to leverage that into having meaningful conversations about other challenges, I think you're missing the boat on how to really, really be successful. For sure. And just to, to like, I'm going to keep piggybacking off you, but with little tactical things, little yeah. tactical things that make the difference. So if you do have that wealth of knowledge and you are plugged in with uh, that group of people or that group of businesses and you're understanding their day-to-day struggles, when you are speaking to a prospect or when you are working into a new scenario, using those issues that you frequently hear about and using a phrase of lately, typically, usually, mm-hmm. historically, that's the credit, credibility right there. So, yep. you know, lately when I'm talking to CEOs, I've been hearing this, this, and that. And if the person registers that and you're using lately or usually, they're going to go, holy shit, this guy, he's got the answers. Yeah. He's, he's, 
in this space currently. He's in this yeah. realm currently. And he understands something that I haven't spoken to anyone else about. And that's that trusted advisor status. That's that immediate of, I don't even know who Ken is, but I've got a yeah. sneaking suspicion he knows more about how to help me than I know how to help myself. So I'm going to entertain yeah. this phone call. So so thank you for saying that because that I, I was able to piggyback some tactics on it. Um, no, it's perfect. And remember this, 74% of buyers want value in this want value from their sellers and only 47% of them believe they're getting it. So your ability yes. to provide value, that's from Gartner. Your ability to provide value is the differentiator because here's, Oh my God, we can riff forever on this. You're going to probably have to cut this all up. <laughs> so here's the thing. Well, here's what you as a sale. If you're a seller or a sales manager, here's something that you need to understand. You need to understand it fully. And that is this, you alone are the differentiation in the sales process until the moment of decision, then your company matters. It's your conversation, the way it is constructed, your ability to deliver value, your ability to be consultative that will, un the company is just like, if I'm wearing a polo, I mean, the company is just like Lacoste. It's, it's, it's nothing because what they're looking for, they're relying on what value can this company bring me? And the, they must be thinking that Derek's the guy who can convey it the best. And if Derek can't convey it the best and have the best conversations, then I'm leaving. And you don't want to hear it. But most of the time when you lose a deal, you lost a deal because you weren't good enough, not because the deal wasn't good enough. Almost every time. Yeah. And I would say absolutely every time, but that would, <laughs> that, that would we don't want to get all the, the yeah. absolute sessions. Yeah, and, and so to take this a little bit further, um, if, if you are plugged in and know what we're talking about, or if this is a little bit newer for you, and can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're saying if you lose a deal, I, I want to I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Yeah. If you are if you're starting the sales process, if you're reaching out, if you're having a new conversation and someone says I'm not interested, that's not a deal lost. That just no. it wasn't it wasn't going to happen. What we're talking about is if you have completely followed the sales process, you've uncovered the pain, the need, you've been able to quantify it. There's a compelling reason they have the money. You're with the decision maker. You know the criteria for buying. You know the timeline for signing, and you've made your presentation. If these things have happened and then you lose the deal, that is a real loss because you shouldn't be making any presentation until all of those milestones are checked off. And at that point, if you lost the deal and you were there and you were prepared to sign and you were prepared to get started because no one should be presenting if they're not positive before going into the meeting that this is a no. win, that is you missing something. You lost the deal. Unless the competitor did some crazy deal that's, that came out of left field or they had an existing relationship where they screwed something up and they made it right because, you know, the, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Sure. Other you than that, with maybe a few other things, that's absolutely you, you losing the deal. And sales is full of losses. That's okay to lose the deal, but you have to go look in the mirror and say, what could I have done better so that that 50% discount was irrelevant to this deal? What could I have done better so that XYZ competitor didn't come out with a lower price and take the no. deal? Because I should have been so fucking good 
that they would buy me and pay a premium because they want my expertise, my solution, and my support. There's my little rant. There's my soapbox. But no, it's perfect because <laughs> I think that what you got to understand too is the you should be losing deals earlier. The thing you didn't say there is this. You know, the, the reason a sales process is set up on a weighted pipeline so that the further it gets in, the higher the percentage of chance that we're betting on it coming in is because you should be disqualifying deals earlier in the process, right? So that's first. And second is, I can tell you, if you want to know, if your question is, all right, Derek, all right, Ken, you guys are talking a lot of shit. If your question is that and you're like, well, how, how do I know if I've got a thing where we're not developing deals and it is on my sellers and whatever? I'll tell you this. This is exactly how you know. At the end of the month or the end of the quarter or the end of the year, do you go to your sellers and ask them to push a discount to your clients? To ask, to ask them to push a discount to try to get a deal across from your prospects. If you're doing that, you need, then I can promise you that you need to lean into getting them better at what they do. There might be a book on it, Strategic Sales Unleashed, available on September 1st. <laughs> but you need Coming to Coming in hard. Yeah. So, um, that's a, just a quick measurement. Like if, if that's your tactic to try to, if you're rushing into the end of every quarter, trying to get deals done in the last week, you know, we practice a process that takes about 18 months to get through, but called flipping the calendar and in flipping the calendar, our goal is that I don't care what 90 day period you measure anybody on, they will always be at or above quota. You can start it in January or February or March or April. It doesn't matter because I like that. Our sellers finish our sellers finish their quarters because it's a natural byproduct of fantastic conversations and sales relationships, not because they weren't good at it and we just thought we could buy the relationship with poor price. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I love that. That's a that's a really good idea and that that makes perfect sense. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna use my one one little tactical piece because I. It's no, just, come on. I tactics are so important. So, yes. so when you're saying lose early, for the listener that may not be aware of what that is, or why would I lose early? Indifference makes the difference, and the difference between commission breath and I'm just checking to see if there's a need here, is so so drastically different. You can yeah. hear it through the phone. You can see it on the Zoom call. You shouldn't have to convince anyone to buy from you. It's not a wrestling match. It's a dance. And if someone has their shit figured out, more power to you. I'm happy for you. Let me go find someone who needs my help. And if it doesn't sound like they need you, if it doesn't sound like anything's broken, and, and things typically have to be pretty damn broken for our red alerts to go off for change, if there's not enough getting in the way of your decision maker or your ambassador, then let them go. They'll come back to you when the time's right. But we should be the first person to say, you know, it sounds like things are going really well and I would hate to come in and screw things up. Am I missing anything? Maybe they say, well, things aren't that great. And now we have a conversation to talk about. Or they say, yeah, you're right. Things are going really well. We're really fortunate. I appreciate the call. Thank the person for letting you go because they just set you free from, as we know, maybe a nine month, 12 month period of follow ups that yep. make you feel worse about yourself because you're not getting a response. And then you Ghost. get that negative self talk and I suck at this and no one responds to me. Screw that. Go find your tribe and your tribe will buy from you. So 
that's another soapbox towards tactics or, or how you can come across um, for any salesperson that is trying to improve their win rate, win rate or disqualify early. Um, and as we're, so we're not done yet, but as, as we're coming to a close here, what are you doing personal level? So sales is so mental. You have to show up strong. Mm-hmm. You do have to show up. Even if you're having a bad day, it's almost like you have to put on your sales helmet. And it's like now, it's like walking between the lines in a game. When you're on the field, it's game time. And I don't want yeah. you to know that anything's going wrong with my personal shit, I'm hurt, whatever. What are you doing to overcome adversity? What are you doing to prepare yourself to be game ready at almost all times, if you will? Yeah, I, I, I diversify my efforts a couple of things. So I am, people don't have to believe this, but I believe, and I bet you I probably heard Tony Robbins say it first. I'm sure he got it from somebody else, but the mind follows the body and the body follows the mind. Yes. And so for me, I take a holistic approach to just that human wellness. Um, I'm an anti-aging guy, so yes, I'm a gym guy, but it's mostly because um, I'm 50, I'll be 52 this next month, and mostly I want to be able to move around when I'm 90 like I move around today. So those are the things I do. So what I do from a, that perspective is the perfect days, the days that start off the way they should, I'm up and I'm out and I do a four-mile walk. I do a four-mile walk at 6.30 in the morning, and then people are like, oh, well, that's cool, but I do a four-mile walk not because it's the walk, because it's a combination of that, the mind, and the body, because in every instance, I'm listening to something that's good for me, not just music. So I'm getting my mind right. I'm getting my education. There's a cool app called Self Talk Plus if you just want to really get into app. Yeah, if you want to get into affirmations and that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. They're each like 45 minutes. So that's one. Second thing that I, that I do, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not crazy about it. Like I don't go over, but I try to eat relatively healthy. Um, I've just found for me, if I, the more I limit starches and dairies, it just tends to be easier to maintain. Um, and I don't get, I think we all, maybe we all don't, but I go through those phases where I don't like what I see in the mirror. And so if I can just maintain the things that are inflammatory to my system, I did not eat them. I do well. Um, and then the gym, you know, I'm a, I'm a five to six days a week, um, an hour in the gym and I go hard and I'm not, I'm not afraid to go heavier because I think even as we age and I'm 50, I'll be 52 in like a month. So but even as we age, you know, you tend to lose muscle and the way you hold muscle is actually by lifting heavier. And so if you want that kind of health. So for me, it's, it starts in the morning. That gym session usually ends up at four. Um, you know, it's not to say I, the, the, I'm out with my friends and I have drinks and I do all that. So I still have a, I still have an act, you know, an active life outside of it. I'm not just sitting around being a hermit, but to get my mind right, to do the things I need to do from a business perspective. Um, I don't care what you do, if it's physical or not, but you need to have some sort of specific discipline around doing something that is self-care. And I would say also um, some sort of discipline around self-care, but that self-care, I love this shit. So to me, this is easy, but um, something that's a healthy stressor. If you're not feeling in, in walking, I walk a ton. Yeah. I don't have the same stress when I'm walking as when I'm squatting heavy. And that heavy squatting, the release of the 
endorphins that are in your muscles and the things that make you feel good, it can change a day. And I can sleep like shit. I can wake up feeling like this is not going to be the best day. 20 minutes into my lift, I'm like, fuck, thank God I did this. It's night and day difference. Um, So weightlifting, uh, do you do any saunas or cold? plunges anything like that not yet you know i've looked at them for years but i, I, I yeah. don't do i don't do saunas and cold plunges i've definitely looked at them um i've done some red light therapy i've done cryotherapy um so yeah i've, I've experimented with a lot of those like right now t- you know, i take nmn which is a precursor to nad <laughs> yes. okay so. sorry I- <laughs> <laughs> I just, so for those of you who can't see me, I just lost it. And I probably clapped so hard that I distorted the mic. I was just going to talk to you about NMN. Yeah. Yeah. Was, so okay. Like NMN Continue. And, yeah. Just so that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff I'm doing because your body naturally depletes NAD. NAD is a, you know, is a, is a chemical within your body that actually helps the mitochondria. And as your cells die, they do a poor job of purging themselves as you get older. And that leads to inflammation, which leads to disease. So there's things like that that you can, I may not be able to see the benefits today, um, you know, but they help you with some of those other things because, you know, if you're ever feeling like you're like, I eat healthy, I do this, but I just, I feel bloat, I feel inflamed. Like I just don't feel right. Um, some of that could be things like that because you could not be getting rid of those successant cells. Um, and so that's, that's something I do to try to keep myself healthy long-term. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a doctor. Don't claim to be. Uh, I don't play. I only play one here. <laughs> yeah. NMN is niacinamide, right? Yes. Niacinamide. Do you take uh, resveratrol? Have you heard about yeah, this? Res- yeah, I take some resveratrol too. The studies seem to be weird. Most of the anti-aging people love it. Uh, yeah. So I take resveratrol and then I'm going to start taking glycine. Okay. I think is, is next. And then there's one more. So I'll have about, you know, about five pills that I take in that kind of anti-aging regimen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, and if everyone's like, if we bored some of you now and you're like, what in the hell are these guys talking about? Just look, what you're, what you're really looking for is instead of just a multivitamin, you're looking for something mm-hmm. that can help impact your cellular level. Mm-hmm. And outside of fasting, some of these things we're talking about are the best. Like the best thing you can do probably is do a three-day fast once a, once yeah. a month. Um, yeah. Cause the data on that's ridiculous and that's not intermittent fasting. Like the whole, like, you know, don't eat for 16 hours, eat for 16, eight. Is, eight. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, that's not, that does not have real cellular impact cause you need to go about 20 hours straight before that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But if you're, you know, these are all traits by the way, I know that I said I'm an old guy, but you start this stuff when you're young and it has an exponential impact as you get older too. And I would imagine, I mean, I already know the answer to this, but your, friends that are your same age that aren't exercising probably don't have a quarter of the energy that you have. And they're probably asking. So I, I'm June, let me think June, it's July right now. So I just recently turned 36 and I've got buddy. This is, this is mind blowing to me. And this is, this is the truth of this realm of turning 30, 30, like peak performance if you this this is like my silverback gorilla stage and i've got buddies that are saying like oh man i don't know how you have the energy to do that it's like oh i work out every day i train for this i put myself into a sauna every morning for 20 minutes to where i'm really uncomfortable i don't do cold as much as i should 
I'll do cold showers, but I'm not doing cold plunges just because I, I don't, I don't own one, and it just yeah. seems kind of expensive to me. But I'm well, it seems like you got to buy like 700 pounds of ice every month. So something like <laughs> yeah, that or or an ice maker, um, like a really like an industrial ice maker. That that would yeah. be the way to do it. Um, but yeah, it's like I'm not doing anything special. I just didn't stop doing the things we were all doing in our 20s, and I feel good. Yeah. That's it. It's discipline over motivation, right? It's discipline For over sure. motivation. Yeah. I think so. Why, you know, why do I, why would I lean into like people who are into fitness, these kind of things? Because they show you a few things. A, they have discipline. B, they're okay with delayed gratification. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Right. And so that's such <laughs> yeah. a big deal because, in t- especially in today's society, you know, I call it the Twitterization of sales or the Twitterization of America. And that's like, just cause you're thinking something, you can let the whole world see it and you think it matters. Like, you know, if I want to, if it took me, like when I lost 60 pounds about 10 years ago, I mean, it took me five years to put the 60 pounds on. It took me two to get it off, you know, but was okay with that process. So, you know, the, the process and the discipline are such big things, you know, those things, and I'll give one other kind of random health tip, I guess. Um, we do, I do something called staying in my circle, which means I pretend that like if I spread my arms out and drop some strings down, there's a circle around my body. And within that circle, I, I say I will put no emotional energy into anything unless it comes in my circle. So like when everybody else is losing their mind in 16 and 20 and everybody's arguing about COVID and politics, I was like, that's information, but I'm not emotionally engaged. And I will tell you the one thing when nobody talks about, we didn't even talk about it till just now that I believe is probably one of the most important things to longevity and happiness in life is to not put expectations and energy into things that you actually cannot, cannot specifically change. Yeah, that, that's really good. And it's easier said than done. Oh, totally. It's... No, trust me, I still find myself. You got to fight it. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, but think about it this way. Like if, you know, you've probably had people come to you like friends or whatever. I had a rep come to me once and go, man, you know, if Derek would just stop doing this, it'd be all be great. And I'm like, doesn't that seem like a horrible way to live your life? Letting your happiness be dependent on somebody else changing, even though they don't even know you want the change. Right. Right. Oh my God. This is like, this could go down marriage counseling, you know, like, Oh, so you expect your spouse to be a mind reader. You haven't even talked to him about it. You're letting what you're letting, what you haven't addressed that someone else does that you can't control affect you. Now you can either have the conversation with them. And then from there you can adjust your expectations, but this is completely outside of who you are. And as long as you take care of yourself and you do the right shit for you and you keep it within your circle yeah. Things just work better yeah. in general. Yeah, you're just so much happier. Like, you know, we talk a lot, and I know we were we riffed and ragged on the industry and said everybody sucks, and at the same time trying to provide help. Um, but the truth is being happy counts for something, you know? And the world of sales is such a high-stress world. It's one of the very few places that's completely performance-based. You know, and, and it's... You got a number on your back and you've got to rely on a lot of other people to do things. But like when you talk about controlling the things you can control, that's seek out help, right? Seek out training. There are are programs that'll just for you as a rep, that'll you pay 199 bucks a month and it'll, 
you'll make money off of it by making tens of thousands. But easily, I just think we get lazy. You know, we just, you know, it's that old thing. It's that old idea that everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. Right. So, right. you know, if, if you're a rep or a manager, you know, and you've probably had some degree of success, but at the end of the day, don't just bullshit yourself into thinking you have a growth mindset, actually act on it and lead and show that from the front. You know, people ask me, what do I read? And I'm like, well, I don't, they're like, what sales books do you read? And I go, I don't read any. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, because I read everything else outside of that. I'm reading leadership and I'm reading communication and I'm reading all the other stuff that actually are soft skill sets that we need for those types of things. So my rant. No, 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 that's good. And, and you might appreciate this just on weightlifting, but the, everybody wants change, but no one's willing to change. I don't know right. if you remember Ronnie Coleman, but Ronnie Coleman, he had this documentary and he's looking around and he says, everyone wants to be a bodybuilder, but nobody won't, nobody wants to lift heavy ass weight. Yes. Yeah. I remember <laughs> that quote. Like, and it's like, yeah, we, we want to be better. We want to improve. We want to do these things, but we're not, we're not asking for help or we're not putting in the, the work. And so to address all my salespeople that maybe we came off as we were bashing them. Sales is tough. Sales is one of the few jobs where people are coming for your head at all time. You're not competing within no. your company alone. You're competing with your prospect if they even need anything. And you have competition trying to poo-poo whatever you're putting out there. So salespeople, you're the best. You're resilient. You're amazing. My only gripe is when you're not leading your sales team and you're unwilling to look for help. That's yeah. the gripe. That's the one piece. And that seems to be very common in this industry. Yeah, I mean, it's a performance-based industry where you can make an absolute killing. Like you can make more, more money than the top 5% of all, all Americans or US people, US, like not US, globally, you can take in the top 5% of all incomes. But there's still something that weird that's happened. And I'm not gonna say it's, Maybe it's always been there and now I'm just notice it. But over the last five or seven years, I think it's kind of gotten to that point where everybody just wants someone to give it to them. Yeah. And that's not how the upper stratospheres of the world, it's not how you're going to get to the top. You know, I, the guy, the story I told you, he, he made, he's one of them. He made 650. Another guy made 850. Another guy's the top salesperson of two different companies has been their program. But I'm going to tell you the one thing they all do. They put in the fucking work, they do the task and they look for help and support in areas where they need to improve and they try to find ways to refine what they're good at so they can continue to capitalize it on it and not forget it just because they're playing it by their intuition. Mm -hmm. and, and there's, this doesn't, this isn't a blanket statement for everybody and there's definitely people that are hungry out there, but what you said is, um, it seems like everybody wants something just given to them. Yeah. This is all a completely different rant for a different episode at a different time. Sadly, I think this is a general generational thing that is only going to get worse. I don't foresee, I don't foresee it getting better. And okay. So here, let's, let's, let's counterpoint that real quick then. Yeah. So here's the fantastic news. If you made it to this point in the podcast, <laughs> think yeah, about the good. opportunity. If you're that way, if you're that one who's been listening to us and saying that's bullshit and you've basically just continued to listen because you're like, you guys are assholes and that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Well, or maybe you thought we were funny cause we think we're funny. Yeah. Um, 
Think about the opportunity to differentiate yourself because here's what I can tell you. AI will not replace sales. It will actually supplement and help sales get better, but it will only help those reps who are at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. And so there is an opportunity here if you are in this world, and if you're saying, ah, I, that doesn't sound like me, it doesn't sound generational, but you look around and your peers are all kind of like that, mm-hmm. you know, they want to sing Kumbaya, and you have an opportunity to strike out and not only, and I know that it's, you know, people aren't just motivated by money, but the money helps, mm-hmm. but you have an opportunity to create a lifestyle and a life for yourself that very few in the world do. And the great news about it right now is the competition, the barrier to you is substantially yeah. lower than it's been in a decade. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more in using that. And this would, this would be going back to maybe the, the tactical side of things. But if you're not having success right now, pick up the phone. No one else is. The phones are going unrung. And your email that you put a ton of work into, that's now boilerplated, that you sent out to however many people, is also in a queue with 500 other spam emails that is getting deleted immediately. So pick up the phone, have a conversation, and... Get away from your competition because they really, right now, no one, not no one, but very few people are using the phones. And that's the most powerful tool that we have. Still is. Your appointment rate on, on a connected phone call is probably going to run somewhere between 18 and 24% if you're dialed into the right target. Can you tell me that 18 to 24% of the 100 emails that you spoke to are going to convert? No, I, I can tell you. They may not even open won't. the mail. They may not even open it. Well, we had a 1% open rate on the last one. So let's say of that 1%, maybe 1% booked. Um, But I, I, this is, I knew, and I knew this was going to go for a while because I could continue picking your brain forever. We're at the two hour mark. I absolutely would love to have you back on and we can, we just touched the tip of the iceberg on this call. There's so many different things that we can talk about, but I appreciate you being transparent as a sales guru and as a sales leader that I look up to and that I really respect, not just not just from your accolades, but from seeing you in real life and seeing how you operate. <clears throat> it is a, it's, it's an absolute pleasure for you to be here. I learned today, so I'm so, so, so grateful um, for you taking the time with me. And just on another note, we don't see each other often enough. So this was good for me to just to catch up with you. And um, as always, and I know you're doing well, but as always, as we're both in this and sales is peaks and valleys and those peaks can be high and those valleys can be low. If you ever have a story, a win or a loss, and you want me to make it anonymous so that I can share with my listeners, or if you want to come talk <laughs> no, about we got, it. we got plenty of kicks in the teeth. <laughs> We've got plenty of them. Uh, but anything, I, I would absolutely love to have you back on. Go look for the book, Strategic Selling Unleashed. It comes out, you said September 1st, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah, hopefully that's, that's what we're doing, yeah. Okay. I'll, get, I'll, make sure that, uh, I'll make sure that you have the... Um, the links if you want to put it with the podcast episode. And if you want to get a hold of Ken and if you want to work with Rev Heat, what are the what are the tags for you, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, how, how can people get a hold of you? Email. Yeah, it's easy on all that. It's you know Ken Lundin and the handle's K G L U N D I N. And then you go to Revheat.com. And if you go to Revheat.com also there's a you can look on the menu, there's a free download section. 
And if there's one thing I would tell you as we talk about being better in sales, if you're in sales or sales manager, there's a document in there called the perfect discovery meeting. It'll change the number of opportunities you could, or the number of opportunities you get out of your discovery calls, and it will absolutely change your funnel. I'm going to go download that right now. <laughs> just, just, just saying. Um, you, you've loaded me up with tools today, and I will absolutely download that. And I will probably talk about this on the uh, on the next episode. So, anything you want to say to the listeners before I let you go? I just want to say. Uh... We have some fun and we have some jest and this is the greatest industry on the freaking planet. It is. And it's only as good as you're going to make it though. So control your emotional energy, invest in yourself and go kill some stuff down. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until the next time, I'm sure I'll be seeing you in person. Uh, Not virtually. I don't know when it'll be, but I look forward to it. Thanks, Derek. All right. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken.